Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Today on Words of Grace, we're going to share the latter portion of the message that I delivered last weekend at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church with you, a message that was entitled Lessons from the Olivet Discourse. Now, this message is a basic summary and explanation of one of our Lord's most famous sermons, the Olivet Discourse, a sermon that he preached on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem the week of his crucifixion. You can find this particular message in Mark chapter 13, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and Luke chapter 21. As far as the backstory of this particular message, the Lord and the apostles had been inside of the temple at Jerusalem. They walk out, and the disciples are very impressed and enamored with the elaborate architecture of the building as it was in that time, a building that had been revamped and added on to greatly by King Herod. As they are impressed at what they see, Jesus says, Not one of those stones shall be left standing that shall not be thrown down. This, obviously, is a great cause of concern and intrigue for the apostles. And so four of them, Peter and Andrew, James and John, come to Jesus privately and ask him three questions. When will these things be? The destruction of Jerusalem. And then they ask about his second coming and of the end of the world. And this message that we refer to as the Olivet Discourse speaks to all of those concepts. When will the temple in Jerusalem be destroyed? And tell us about your second coming. Here is today's message, Lessons from the Olivet Discourse. Jesus says, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. They're all impressed. Look at this building. Look at these walls. Look at the gold and the jewels. Oh, wow, how amazing is this? And Jesus says, there's not going to be left here one stone that isn't knocked to the dirt. Wow, whoa, the temple's going to be destroyed again? They're amazed at this. And Luke, he says, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. His disciples at hearing this, Come to him and they ask him. And as you noticed from Mark, this is which disciples? Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? Notice this question in Matthew 24, 3 that is not in Luke 21. And of the end of the world. Three questions were asked, and I submit to you that three questions were answered, is the first question. What are these things to which they refer? When every stone of that temple is thrown down onto the ground. Have you ever seen the temple in Jerusalem? No. Why have you never seen the temple? That was a trick question. I wanted somebody to write, yeah, I've seen the temple. No, you haven't. You've seen a picture of it. You've seen an artist recreation of it. But you've never seen the temple in Jerusalem. It is not there. It's destroyed. When was it destroyed? 
It was destroyed in AD 70. That tells us that at least part of what Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse has to do with when? AD 70 and the destruction of Jerusalem. But notice this last question in Matthew 24. And of the what? The end of the world. Now, has the temple been destroyed? Yes. Has the end of the world come? No. The end of the world has not yet come. So that tells us that what they ask, Jesus answers, some of what he says has to do with the destruction of Jerusalem, and some of what he says has to do with his second coming and the end of the world. If you want to give a little bit of a slogan, three questions asked, three answers given. Now, there are various views of the Olivet Discourse, and just to give you a little bit of a summary on those, you have the dispensational view, which is the mainstream view among American evangelicals today, and it is a novel view dating to the 1830s, and it places all of the fulfillment of the Olivet Discourse at the end of time. That view fails to answer the first question. Number two, you have the preterist view. The preterist view has been more popular in the past, but is not very popular today, and it applies all of the sermon to the destruction of Jerusalem. It fails to take into consideration the last question that was asked. What about the end of the world? Now, when the disciples ask these questions, they think all of this is happening at the same time. It's really difficult to get prophecy right in advance as far as your understanding of it. So they think all these things are thrown down or the world's going to end. They don't realize that the destruction of the temple happens and then two millennia at least go by before the end of the world. But they don't know this. And so this brings me to my view and the general view of our order of faith, what I will call today the blended view, that, again, three questions were asked and three questions are answered. And if you really wanted to go push comes to shove, there are basically two things that are addressed in this sermon because the end of the world happens at Jesus' second coming. And so even though they ask, what about the destruction of the temple, what about your coming and of the end of the world, his second coming and the end of the world happen in the same day according to 2 Peter chapter 3. And so there are three questions asked. There are two subjects handled in the answer. In my opinion, the gospel of Luke is the key to a right understanding of the Olivet Discourse. Now, you have to put all of these accounts together to get the full scope of the information that Jesus intended for you to have. However, Luke's gospel gives what you could call time stamps that Matthew's gospel does not. And this will make sense as we begin to look at the transition from answering the question about the destruction of Jerusalem to the end of the world. At the same time, Matthew <clears throat> gives a longer transcription of this sermon so you find more information about the specifics of culture and what happens in the world and the problems and the troubles. Now, wouldn't it be great if Jesus said, oh, let me tell you a little bit about the future. Life is going to be great. There will be world peace. People will get along. Even bad people will do good things. You won't find that in the Olivet Discourse. 
And again, that's predictive of things in the future, both their future short-term and our future in the world. The world is going to get worse, and then it's going to get worse, and then it's going to get so bad that, as we see in a moment, men's hearts will fail them for fear. That's pretty bad. That's what your Lord said about the future of human society that before the end, it will grow so sinful and so violent that men, their hearts, will fail for fear. That's powerful language. That's what the world's going to experience. Question number one. Tell us when shall these things be. Jesus says not one stone is going to be left standing in this temple that is not thrown down. When did that happen? It happened in the year A.D. 70. Because of Jewish revolt in the world, that's the literal reason among human society why that happened. In reality, through the lens of Scripture, we understand what happened is that that people, the Jewish people, they were being judged for their rejection of the Messiah and their crucifixion of God's Son. That city would be raised according to Old Testament prophecy, R-A-Z-E-D, the same word that finds its usage in the word razor today, it would be raised from the earth. It would be destroyed. It was such a terrible time of calamity. They, they surround the city. They cut off trade. People starved to death, and history reports people resorted to cannibalism. The fires of that siege burned so intensely that it blocked the sun and the moon from giving light in that city. It was a time of great suffering such as was not among that people in their existence, and this was a people who was very well acquainted with suffering in Egypt, in Babylon, in Assyria, in Greece, in the Medo-Persian Empire, and in Rome. And it was a time unlike any suffering that they'd experienced. And you can read historical accounts of that. It was a time of great suffering. Guess what? In Matthew, Jesus says, except for the elect's sake, those days should not be shortened. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. For the who? The elect's sake. Jesus talked about election all the time. Those days were cut short for the elect's sake. Let's go through Luke 21 and just read verses 5 through 24. They speak of the temple. Jesus says, Not one stone here is going to be left standing. And they say, Master, when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And through Matthew we know, and of thy coming and of the end of the world. And he said, Take heed that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. Now, as you will notice in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says this happens before the destruction of Jerusalem, but Jesus also says this happens after the destruction of Jerusalem. It's interesting to know that the sort of trouble that happened there before the destruction of Jerusalem also happens before his coming. False Christs, false prophets, deceivers, natural disasters, wars and rumors of wars happen before both. Sometimes in Scripture, in fact, I would submit this to you, 
Whenever judgments happen in Scripture, they are microcosms for the ultimate judgment and calamity that is going to happen at the very end of time. And so when you see Sodom and Gomorrah, they stand as an example of God's judgment upon wickedness. And you can look for another judgment to come that is greater. It's a small picture of the judgment. It's a microcosm of a judgment to come or a deliverance to come, depending on which perspective you view it through. So then it is no surprise to me that before Jerusalem is sieged and the temple is destroyed, you have the same things happening before the end of the world. He wants you to know this for a reason, because he does not want you to be deceived. If someone enters the world and says, I am Jesus, I rule the world from my temple in Jerusalem, now come and worship me. I want you to remember what Jesus said here. Be not deceived. He's going to tell you what it looks like when he comes again. If people say, I am Christ, and again, this is building up to when the temple's destroyed, but it also would happen again after in the interim between that and the second coming. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Don't, don't go out after the people saying they're Christ. You'll hear of wars and commotions. Rumors of wars, Matthew would say. The end is not by and by. Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That has been happening since the beginning of time. When we studied Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what does Abraham do? He trains 300 guys and he goes and fights against kings. Cheddar Laomer and his group of kings. Literally, nations warring against each other have been happening since the very beginning. Now, in America, every time a nation goes to war against another nation, people begin running around screaming like Chicken Little that the sky is falling. It's the end. This always happens. It has always happened. It will always happen. Great earthquakes shall be in divers places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall be from heaven. And again, this happens before both the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of time. But I want you to notice how specific he speaks to these people. Before all these... They shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Have you read the book of Acts? That happens all through the book of Acts. He's telling them what they're going to experience before the judgment upon this people and the destruction of that temple. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. In other renditions of this, the Holy Spirit in moments of persecution literally put the words in their heart and mouth and mind to say as they're being dragged before magistrates beaten and executed. You shall be betrayed by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends and some of you shall they cause to be put to death, and you shall be hated of all men for my sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. And that again, I believe, is speaking about the build-up to the judgment of that people, that culture, that nation, and in AD 70, they would be destroyed. Remember this statement, in patience possess ye your souls. Going to come back to it in a minute. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies... Know that the desolation thereof is nigh. 
This is how you know that what he has just said applies to the destruction of Jerusalem. Because he says, quite literally, when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. When you see armies surround the city Jerusalem that they're literally looking at, know that it's about to be destroyed. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these shall be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, people today say, well, that's not very relevant. I really want to apply this to a future thing because it sounds a whole lot more sci-fi and interesting and intriguing. But please remember, Jesus is talking to these people that he loved, and they needed to know when they needed to escape. What would have happened if they had not escaped? They would have been caught up in that vengeance. They would have been destroyed too. They would have suffered all the things that these people in Jerusalem suffered. How would this make sense if it applied to the second coming. But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. Woe unto nursing moms and the resurrection. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? No, but if you're a woman who is carrying a baby at eight months pregnant and you have to leave on a moment's notice and flee into the wilderness, woe unto you. Bless your heart. Ladies, you ever... Cut the grass when it's 90 degrees out in July when you're pregnant. Weed eat. Take a walk around the block. Walk from the front door to the van. Pretty miserable, right? Jesus says, woe unto you. God bless you if you're carrying a child. Some of you will. Woe unto you if you're nursing a child. These are the days of wrath upon this people. They shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away into all nations... And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles refer to the Gentile inhabitancy of the city of Jerusalem. Have you ever studied the Crusades? It literally was Christian Gentiles and Islamic Gentiles fighting for that piece of dirt. Jesus says that Jerusalem shall be trodden down of Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled, indicating that there's a time when the descendants of Israel have the city again. Guess what happened in 1948? A country called Israel was reestablished there. That's the destruction of Jerusalem. Beyond that, we come to the time period leading up to the next question that is asked. What is the next question that is asked about the second coming? Then there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. The powers of the heaven shall be shaken And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That is his second coming, I believe. But what happens before that second coming? Signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. Did you know that the world waxes old as a garment? You know that the magnetic field of the earth is getting weaker? 
You know the moon's getting further away? You know that solar flares can knock out our GPS, our internet, or our electrical grid? You know that meteors and asteroids can fall and hit the earth and destroy cities? And every time something like that hits the news, what do men in society do? They panic as they hear about it. And yet Jesus said, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Signs in the heavens. Signs in the heavens. And men's hearts shall fail them for fear. According to Matthew 24, verses 36 through 41, you know what Jesus says about the day of his coming? And again, this is after the AD 70 question being answered. Of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The days of Noah, men were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. What were the days of Noah known for? If the world is so evil and violent that God says, I'm going to put it out of its misery and flooded it and killed every single thing in whose nostrils were the breath of life. How wicked and violent is it going to be at the time of the second coming of Christ? Men's hearts failing them for fear. In Noah's day, because every imagination of the thoughts and intents of man's heart was only evil continually. Think about almost how hyperbolic that sounds. Every imagination of the thoughts and intents of his heart were only evil continually. And because of that, the earth was filled with what? The earth was filled with violence. And so God floods it. At the time of Jesus coming, the world is going to be like in Noah's day. What is Noah's day? A place full of evil and a place full of violence. There will be violence. There will be wars. There will be rumors of wars. There will be natural disasters. There will be signs in the heavens, signs in the sky. It will be a terrifying time before Jesus returns, so terrifying that the hearts of men fail them for fear. That's not to be your reaction, by the way. In Noah's day, there were people taken and there were people left. The popular modern evangelical understanding of that is those that are left behind, they're left behind and Jesus takes his people away raptured and they disappear secretly And then those that are left behind go through terrible things, and then you've got some thousand-year reign and all kinds of other things. Who was left behind in Noah's day? Noah. Who was taken in Noah's day? Whoever the flood took. I kind of want to be left behind, don't you? I don't want to be taken if taken is judgment. We have that upside down in Christianity today. Noah was left. Where, Where are we left? We are left with God as the wicked are taken and destroyed cast into the second death where they suffer for eternity, taken in destruction, left with God. I want to be left with God. At the second coming directly before, there's a loosing of Satan, and Gog and Magog, a wicked ruler and his country, go about causing such a war against the holy city and the camp of the saints that there are so many men fighting, their number rivals that of the sands of the sea, which leads us to 
the conclusion that at the time of the second coming of Christ, not only is the world a violent place, but there are so many people engaging in warfare that the number of soldiers is as innumerable as sand on the seashore. That's a great global war. Now, you might say, well, you know what? We've had that happen over and over again. You're exactly right, we have. Did you know, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the mystery of iniquity did already work, and the context of that is the second coming, and the man of sin who sits in the temple showing himself that he's God, the son of perdition, that wicked. The mystery of iniquity was already working in the day that Paul wrote. Did you know Satan has been trying to do this through all human history, but there's coming a day when it's all going to go down? When that hindrance is taken out of the way, he that letteth will let till he be taken out of the way. Now you might ask, well, what is that? A good question. You ask three preachers, you get five answers. But at the end, there will be an unfiltered, unfettered assault of Satan upon God's people. Men's hearts are failing them for fear. But you know who wins the battle against Gog and Magog in Revelation 20? It's not the United States. It's not the UN. It's not NATO. It's not nuclear bombs. It's not rifles. It's not swords. The Lord Jesus Christ returns and destroys Gog with flaming fire. The brightness of his coming. Jesus personally returns and defeats that enemy. Now, you don't have to wonder, has Jesus returned? you know why? Because according to Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31, when Jesus returns, he sends his angels to gather his elect from the four winds. When an angel picks you up, and flies into the air with you, you will know that Jesus has returned. But any other time somebody says Jesus is here, you can reject what they've said because you're not in the air yet. Let me give you some application of this. Number one, not one stone shall be left standing. We are amazed by the products of our own hands, but nothing outside of our Lord will endure to the next world. Not one stone. We're amazed Jesus is not. Number two, Luke 21, 19, in patience, possess your souls is an awesome statement that we need to meditate on. Not someone else possessing your soul. Not the circumstance possessing your soul. Not your heart failing in you for fear when you see the things of this world falling out the way that they will. But in patience, possess your soul. You possess your soul. Now, Jesus possesses your soul, yes, but he's telling you, control yourself, control your mind. So many times in the Word of God, patience has to do with enduring afflictions. In patience, possess your soul, even amidst great controversy and calamity, as this predicts. Number three, if you noticed, how could you not, there will be great trouble before the second coming of Christ, just as there was great trouble before the destruction of Jerusalem. When you see the trouble, what does Jesus tell you? When you see these things come to pass, Luke 21, 28, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. The second coming of Christ and all the terrible things that will happen before it is not revealed to you to make you afraid, but to give you courage and faith and hope. Matthew 24, verse 12, point number four. Because iniquity abounds, the love of men waxes cold. The worse society becomes as it relates to sin, the less loving people will be. 
Sin and violence go hand in hand. Because sin abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. And then lastly, take heed to yourselves, Jesus says, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Waiting can cause people to become complacent. Yes, it's been 2,000 years, but Jesus is coming again, and you and I ought to live our lives as if that could be this very afternoon. And if we do, that frames our ethical and moral decision-making, doesn't it? May we be found living in such a way, knowing that our redemption draws nigh. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to... Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.